And we come to the final lesson in our verse-by-verse study through the book of James. How do I? And over the past three months, we've been blessed and challenged, haven't we? By James' practical, straightforward teaching on such relevant topics as profiting from our problems, overcoming temptation, listening to the Bible, treating people properly, validating our faith, taming our tongues, exercising godly wisdom, resolving conflict, facing the future, managing our money, practicing patience, (laughs) praying effectively. In fact, it is this last topic, how do I pray effectively? That's the focus of today's lesson. We began this study of James 5, 13 through 20, two Sundays ago, before taking a break for Resurrection Sunday last week, and we return for part two of two of this vital lesson this morning. Follow along in your Bible as I read James chapter 5. We pick it up with verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. How do I pray effectively? Seven times in these verses, James uses the words pray, prayed, or prayer. I think the theme of James' thoughts here in these closing verses of his epistle may be summed up at the end of verse 16. Let's read this out loud together. Read it with me, would you? The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, I want to remind you once again that James knew firsthand that this was true. He was a man of prayer, so much so that the historian Eusebius gave him the nickname Camel Knees. James spent so much time on his knees in prayer that they were calloused and worn. And so when James speaks of prayer, he speaks of something of which he knows from personal experience. Now, I believe it's important for us to review what we learned together in part one of this lesson, How Do I Pray Effectively? You'll recall that we discussed two main thoughts about powerful, effective prayer. First of all, we talked about the instances of effective prayer. The question is, when is effective, powerful prayer needed? Now, I know the broad answer is all the time. But James narrows it down to three specific instances when effective, powerful prayer is most definitely needed in our lives. Number one, when we have emotional, I mean, yeah, emotional needs. 
Look again at verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Notice that James points out the both extremes of the emotional spectrum here. He talks about when we're feeling bad, trouble, and when we're feeling good, happy. And his point is that both of these extremes and everything in between on the emotional roller coaster of life are instances when powerful, effective prayer are definitely needed. Number two, when we have physical needs. When we have physical needs. And again, James writes in verses 14 and 15, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Now, there's so much meat in those two verses. And we did spend, you'll remember, a lot of time going through those verses phrase by phrase in part one of this lesson. So I'm just going to refer you back to that previous lesson for more details. If you missed part one of this two-part lesson, I encourage you to visit our website or our Facebook page to download the sermon, or you can order a free CD by the date and the title at the bottom of your communication flap this morning, your bulletin flat. Let me say this about the laying on of hands, anointing of oil, and prayer for healing. The Bible says it, so we do it. (laughs) Period. I mean, if you had asked me to explain how this works that James is talking about, if you asked me to give you a complete understanding of this text and exactly what it means, you're not going to get that. I'm sorry. Some of the very best Christian scholars disagree with one another on this matter. But hear me out on this. We do not have to understand something in God's Word to obey it. God said it, we believe it, and that settles it. And so we practice the laying on of hands, anointing with oil, and prayer for healing because the Bible instructs us that we are to do so. By the way, Remember we had an altar call at the end of the service two Sundays ago to put this into practice. And praise God, I've had a couple of people who came forward that morning who have come to me since then to let me know that God indeed touched them and healed them that very day. Isn't that amazing? God is good. Number three, when we have spiritual needs. Look at how the message paraphrases the last part of verse 15 and the first part of verse 16. In fact, let's read it out loud together. Would you read it with me? If you've sinned, you'll be forgiven, healed inside and out. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Later in verses 19 and 20, (coughs) James writes, My brothers... If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I think the bottom line is this. When we have spiritual needs, it definitely calls for powerful, effective prayer. Prayers of confession ourselves, prayers of restoration for those who have wandered away like a prodigal from the Lord. In summary, 
When is effective, powerful prayer needed? When we have emotional needs, when we have physical needs, when we have spiritual needs. That's a quick review of what we studied in our last lesson about the instances of effective prayer. And then, continuing in review, we also talked about the individuals of effective prayer. Don't miss the first part of verse 17. In fact, let's read it out loud together. Read it with me, would you? Elijah was a man just like us. If you haven't underlined those last three words in your Bible, you ought to do that. You ought to highlight them. Just like us. Sometimes we forget that. We tend to put the men and the women of the Bible up on a pedestal and we say, I could never be like him or her. But James reminds us that the people in the Bible, Elijah in particular here, are people just like us. The question is, what kind of a person can pray effectively and powerfully? And the answer is, write it down again, an ordinary person. (laughs) Just like us. Us. And when we read Elijah's story in 1 Kings 17 through 19, we discover that he truly is an ordinary person just like us. I mean, he struggled with things you and I struggle with fear, resentment, anger, guilt, and loneliness, worry, just like you do, just like I do. But James continues here in our text in verses 17 and 18. He prayed earnestly, Elijah did, that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now that's pretty powerful and effective prayer for somebody who is an ordinary person just like us. And the point is, we don't have to be perfect to pray effectively. We don't have to be some kind of a spiritual giant to pray powerfully. No, we just have to be an ordinary person. Just like you are. Just like I am. So that's a review of part one. How do I pray effectively? The instances of Effective prayer, when is powerful effective prayer needed when we have emotional, physical, or spiritual needs? And the individuals of effective prayer. What kind of person can pray effectively and powerfully? An ordinary person, just like you and just like me. Which brings us into the third point of this lesson, and that's the ingredients of effective prayer. How can we learn to pray with effectiveness? What ingredients, if you will, compose powerful prayer? Well, James, I think, in these verses in our text, offers five suggestions. Let me give them to you. Number one, effective prayers are consumed with life. Effective prayers are consumed with life. Back to verses 13 and 14 where James asks us three questions. Is any one of you in trouble? Is anyone happy? Is any one of you sick? (laughs) And I think the idea here is that prayer should permeate every facet of our lives. Every day, in every situation, we should pray. Praying effectively and powerfully means that we should always pray and not give up. Luke 18 verse 1. Or as Paul put it, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, we should pray continually or pray without ceasing. Folks, we're talking here about an attitude of prayer. Our whole approach to life should be immersed in prayer. 
Prayer is not something we do just before we eat or before we tuck the kids in bed at night. It's not something we do only when we bow our heads and close our eyes and fold our hands. Prayer is not some kind of a switch that we switch on. Okay, I'm going to pray now. And then we switch off. Okay, I'm not praying anymore. No! Prayer is a 24-7 on switch. (laughs) I mean, it's something we do all day long in all of our circumstances because we are in constant communion and constant communication with our Savior and God. We're walking hand in hand with Him each and every day, praying as we go. I mean, we talk to God constantly. That's effective and powerful prayer. So first, effective prayers are consumed with life. Number two, effective prayers are convinced by faith. Effective prayers are convinced by faith. In verse 15, James talks about the prayer offered in faith. In verse 15, James talks about that that faithful prayer, that truth that we need to grasp onto, that powerful and effective prayer can never be separated from faith. Back in James 1, verses 6 and 7, James told us, when you ask Him, be sure you really expect Him to answer, for a doubtful mind is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. People like that should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. In other words, when we pray, we need to pray with conviction, (laughs) not doubt. We must be thoroughly convinced that God will answer our prayers according to His will and His purpose. Let's read 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15 out loud together. We have such confidence in Him that we are certain He hears every request that is made in accord with His own plan. And since we know that He invariably gives attention to our prayers, whatever they are about, we can be quite sure that our prayers will be answered. Yes, they will be answered. Simply put, we can know that if we're living... At the very center of His will. That's the key. If we are living at the very center of His will, He will answer every prayer that is prayed from the center of His will. Does that make sense? So second, effective prayers are convinced by faith. Number three, effective prayers are conceived in righteousness. Effective prayers are conceived in righteousness. Once again, James writes in the latter part of verse 16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Don't miss that word, righteous. Righteousness is essential to effective and powerful prayer. The point is, if there is sin, if there is unrighteousness in our lives, it's going to hinder our prayers. Psalm 66 verse 18 tells us, If I revere wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 puts it this way, The Lord hasn't lost His powerful strength. He can still hear and answer prayers. Your sins are a roadblock between you and your God. That's why He doesn't answer your prayers. Get any clearer than that? I mean, we pray and we pray and we pray and and our prayers seem impotent and ineffective and we wonder, where is God? Why isn't He listening to me? When is He ever going to answer my prayers? Could it be 
that there is some unrepented and unconfessed sin in our lives? Could it be that there is something amiss in our relationship with God, some secret sin, some unresolved issue? If we don't take care of that, God is not going to listen. So what's the solution? 1 John 1, verse 9. Let's read it out loud together. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? Uh, I just want to make sure you got that. (laughs) Isn't that a wonderful promise? If we confess our sins, God will cleanse us. He'll purify us from all of our unrighteousness. And then we can pray with effectiveness and power. So third, effective prayers are conceived in Righteousness. Number four, effective prayers are constructed in simplicity. Effective prayers, I believe, are constructed in simplicity. I can't get away from that phrase in verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us. He was an ordinary person, but he accomplished extraordinary things through prayer. See, God honors prayers from ordinary people like you and like me. What He desires from us is total honesty and complete transparency and absolute fervency. Back in James 4 and verse 2, James confronted us, you do not have because you do not ask God. (laughs) And maybe we don't ask God because we're thinking to ourselves, well, that's kind of a silly prayer. (laughs) You ever said that? Or why would I bother God with that? Don't you think that God already knows what your heart has in it? What you are thinking and how you are feeling? I mean, if He already knows that, then why would you not talk to Him about it? Why would you not be real with Him? Why would you not share with Him what is on your heart? You ever read David's prayers in the Psalms? I mean, you talk about transparency and honest. I've often wondered how many of those psalms were actually written on his knees. You ever think about that? You see, the very best place for us to sort out the stuff in our lives is in prayer. As we're talking to God, and we just need to be real. We just need to let Him know how we feel and what we're thinking and just, just sort it out. Just kind of, just let Him know it. He can take it. <laughs> I love it when children pray. They're not afraid to ask God. They're not afraid to tell Him what they're thinking and feeling. They haven't learned how not to ask Him like you and I have learned and need to unlearn. Huh? also love to listen to new believers pray. They haven't learned all of those fancy cliches. Oh, most heavenly, righteous, divine, omnipotent Father... What? I mean, they, they just say, hey God, it's Bob. Amen. <laughs> now, I'm, not, I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying we should be disrespectful. I'm just saying that sometimes we limit our prayers to formulas and cliches and postures. But prayer is pretty simple, friends. We try to complicate it sometimes way too much. And we just need to get back to the basics. Get back to simplicity. Just be real. <laughs> And talk it out with God. That's what prayer is all about. So fourth, effective prayers are constructed in simplicity. Number five, effective prayers are concerned 
for others. Effective prayers are concerned for others. I'll, I'll cut right to the chase on this one. How much of our prayer lives are spent praying for ourselves? Our needs and wants, our unconfessed sins, our requests and petitions, our trials and tribulations. I think one of the marks of maturity in our prayer lives is that more time is spent praying for the concerns of others than is spent praying for the concerns of self. James mentions one such important concern in verses 19 and 20 when he talks about this restoration process, leading someone who has wandered from the truth back to the Lord again. Obviously, that restoration process has to be done prayerfully. James says as much in verse 16 when he told us to pray for each other so that you may be healed. This healing that he's talking about there in the context is not a physical healing, it is a spiritual healing. And again, the bottom line is this. As we mature in our prayer lives, the focus shifts away from self to others. And that makes our prayer lives so much more powerful and effective. This topic of intercessory prayer, that's really what I'm talking about right now. Intercessory prayer, praying for others, standing in the gap for others. I wish we had time to develop it more deeply. But let me just share with you this one true illustration this morning. A missionary from Papua New Guinea was reporting back to his home congregation in San Jose about his efforts to reach unreached tribal groups in the rural mountainous areas of Papua New Guinea. And as he was sharing about this work that he and his wife and team were doing, he told a story about one night when they were out in the bush, out in the jungle, and and they knew that they were traveling through some very dangerous territory. In fact, they knew that there were several cannibal tribes that lived in that area. And they were trying very quickly to make their way, but they did not get out of the jungle until it grew dark. And then they became aware that they were being stalked by one of the cannibal tribes. They saw them moving in the brush around them. They did not know what to do except to stop and to build a campfire and to kneel around that campfire and begin to pray. Now, they finished that journey with safety. And it was less than two weeks later they made their way back into that same area again this time to intentionally contact that cannibalistic tribe. And they met with that tribe. The tribe welcomed them. They couldn't understand why. Until the conversation led to the place where on that night, they heard the story of the jungle from the tribe's point of view. And the missionary asked the tribal leader, How come you didn't attack us that night? We were only five in number. You could have attacked us. You could have killed us. And the tribal leader said, Oh, no, we could not do so because of the 26 armed men with swords drawn that surrounded you. And the missionary said, What are you talking about? There were no 
armed men with us. Oh yes, there were. There were 26 men with flaming swords surrounding your campsite. And we were terrified and we ran for our lives and we figured that anybody who was as powerful as that, we needed to listen to. And so that's why we've allowed you to be here today. Now he's sharing a story and one of the men in his home church in the congregation stood up and said, well, wait a minute, time out. Interrupted his story and said, what was the date and the time that that happened? And the missionary got out his pocket calendar and began to calculate and said, well, it was on such and such a date and then we translated it into the time zone in San Jose and said it was such and such an hour. Why do you ask? And the man said, well, I'll tell you exactly why we asked. Because it was at that very moment that several of us men in this congregation felt the urge to pray for you. And we made phone calls and we gathered together at the church and we prayed fervently. We didn't know what was going on, but we knew the Lord was calling us to pray. And the missionary said, I would love to meet those men. And the guy said, well, that's easy enough. They're all here tonight. And all 26 of us stood. I was one of them. 26. Did you get the number? The exact amount of armed angelic soldiers around that missionary team. By the way, that whole tribe came to know Jesus. And they have in the years that followed now reached out to other tribes in Papua New Guinea. What if we had not stood in the gap for them that night? What if we had not listened to God's urging in our spirit to pray for that particular ministry, for that particular missionary at that moment in time? What if only two of us had showed up? Would that have been enough? But God knew what needed to happen. And we stood in the gap and God honored it. You cannot tell me that intercessory prayer is not effective and powerful. Wow. So fifth, effective prayers are concerned for others. How then can we learn to pray with power and effectiveness? The ingredients of effective prayer at least are these. They're consumed with life. Folks, they're just life. It's about life. (laughs) Everyday life. Convinced by faith. Get that. (laughs) Convinced by faith. I said it's about everyday life. There it is. We we have to have faith. Yes. They're conceived in righteousness. We've got to be walking with the Lord. They're constructed in simplicity. Don't make them harder than what they need to be. And they're concerned for others. I really believe that's where power lies. How do I pray? Effectively. This morning we've concluded our verse-by-verse study through the book of James with part two. Folks, I, I want us to be a people of prayer. I want I want this church family to be a place where powerful and effective prayer happens. I don't want to use gimmicks and man-made programs and all that kind of stuff. I just want to pray this church forward. 
and we're going to pray and we're going to pray and we're going to pray and we're going to remain on our knees before God and we're going to pray and when God moves, we're going to move with Him. Amen?